Good evening again. Are we happy to be in the house of the Lord this evening? Amen. we got about two people on this right-hand side. Tim Dover. I'm happy to see you tonight, brother. <laughs> Rest of us, amen. Take your Bibles with me, if you will. Open them to the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter number 1. Philippians chapter number 1. I am incredibly excited to be here this evening. Uh, to preach the Word of God, of course, but even more so to have the opportunity after the service to baptize three of my kids. Uh, that is a humbling experience. I'm, I'm, I'm very excited for that. I've, I've had, been fortunate to baptize several people, uh, but this is going to be probably the most special occasion for me uh, tonight. Uh, before we get to the baptisms this evening, I want to take you to the book of Philippians. When I was here last, I told you this book was probably the best example of what we have today of a prayer letter. Um, and I want to give you just a little bit of background on this book because I want to show you this evening uh, a message that I preached on deputation or furlough. My last furlough, I don't know if, I'm not certain if I preached it here, and if I don't remember it, I'm sure you don't remember. Uh, and even if you do remember, even if you have some stuff written in your Bible, go with me very quickly to, uh, to chapter number three very quickly. I want to show you this. Paul says in chapter number three, verse number one, he says, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord to write the same thing to you. To write the same thing to you, to me indeed, is not grievous. So what he's saying there is to repeat it over and over again to you, that doesn't bother me at all. I'm going to tell you the same thing over and over and again. Why? Because it's safe. Because it's safe for you. That's what he says there in the text, because it's safe. So if you hear the same message over and over, if you hear the same illustrations over and over, it's okay. <laughs> it's okay because it's safe. We need to hear. We're like those little kids who need to hear the same thing over and over and over again. We're hard-headed. All of us, we're hard-headed. Uh, but this evening, I want to take you over here in the first chapter, and I want to t share with you our ministry philosophy, and I shared a little bit of this on our, on our furlough, but in order to understand what I'm about to say, we've got to remember context. Just much like the book of Colossians when we were here just a few weeks back, this book has a context, and we must understand the Word of God within the context, or at least if we understand the context, we can have a much greater grasp of what God is actually saying. Without context, it's like a picture, it's like the news, it's like the Facebook clip, it's like anything else that you see on social media. Uh, but Philippians here, Philippians chapter number 1, uh, Paul is writing this letter to a very near and dear people to himself. He's writing this letter to his children in the faith. If you remember the context for this book, and I'm not going to go over and show you all of it, you can study it at home, but the context for this book is found in the book of Acts. Acts chapter number 16, much like the book of Colossians, Acts chapter number 16, the Apostle Paul responded to the Macedonian call. He responded to the Macedonian call, and he, and he went out, and he was preaching, and he was teaching. And first thing we know is a, a lady, a seller of purple was saved, uh, Lydia. And then uh, Paul, say, uh, Paul shares the gospel, and this demon-possessed man, he gets saved. And, and because of that, it causes a stir in this in this community, and the Apostle Paul was locked up. This wasn't his first time. This is a prison epistle where the Apostle Paul is writing this letter from prison, but this wasn't the first time the Apostle Paul was locked up for preaching the gospel. He was locked up, and he, he didn't let the circumstances, I said this about Colossians, but he didn't let the circumstances of his life dictate whether or not he was going to preach the gospel. And while he was in that 
while he was in those bad circumstances, while he was in that prison, uh, locked up, he preached the gospel, and the Philippian jailer and his whole household got saved. Uh, and the Paul was released. Of course, we know the story, and he continues on. And what he left in his wake was a church, the Philippian church, the church at Philippi. And Paul, uh, something that happened to the Apostle Paul, he continues on on a different journey, and he continues on preaching and teaching the Word of God, and he gets locked up again, and he gets shipped up to Rome. And these people... These people here at Philippi had a relationship with the Apostle Paul, a special relationship with the Apostle Paul. Uh, they were his children in the faith, if you, can, if you can think with me. And what happened is they found out Daddy was in jail. And as any of us can imagine, if you found out, young people, if you found out your dad was in prison, if you found out your mom or your dad was in prison and he didn't do anything wrong, how would you feel? I mean, I think you'd, how would you feel? Think about that. That's the context for this book. How would you feel if, if, if your loved one, the one that you really loved, your daddy or your mama or your grandma, whoever it may be, that you really, really love, is in prison and he doesn't deserve to be there? How would you feel? Well, this letter was written to these people as a thank you letter because these people found out that the Apostle Paul was in prison. And they sent offerings to the Apostle Paul. And they had fellowship, as we learned uh, in the Gospel with the Apostle Paul, in verse number 3, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making requests with joy for your fellowship in the Gospel from the first day until now. And they, 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 they sent to the Apostle Paul, and because of their offerings, the Apostle Paul probably was able to rent that house over in Acts chapter number 27. Uh, number 28, I'm sorry. And he, he was there in prison, but they heard how their daddy was in prison. And Paul writes this letter to his children, and he writes it for a very specific purpose. He writes this letter to his children so that their joy would be restored. Because as anybody would be, they were probably a little bit anxious. They were probably a little bit, wow, what in the world? That's how God treats you when you, when you serve God? I don't know if I need to serve that God. That's, I mean, is that really how it's going to turn out? If I, if I give my life over to Christ, am I going to go to prison? And this letter is written to them to clarify what it is, who it is, and who it is in whom they have believed, and who they are. And when they understand who they are, when they understand this life that they've been given, then the joy will be restored. The joy of their salvation will be back. Well, this evening I want to show you very quickly in chapter number one. In chapter number one, I'm going to show you. I'm going to give you an outline because I don't think I'm going to have time to get to all these points. I'm going to give you three things out of this text, and you can take them home with you, and you can study these things, about what it means to live Christ. I'm going to give you three things that what it means to live Christ right out of this text right here. There's a lot of confusion today about what it means to live the Christian life. Well, the Christian life is, is man, God's going to bless you, and God's going to do this and that and the other. Young people, I'll, I'll focus on you more tonight than I will others. This is what the Christian life is. Let's allow the Word of God to define for us, define for us what it means to live Christ. Because if you are a believer, if you call yourself a Christian, your life is not your own. It was bought with a price. You are not a servant of man any longer. You are the servant of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You now have a new Lord. You're not the Lord of your life any longer. And your life is to be lived 
for these things right here. Life in Christ, number one. Verse number 12. Look with me very quickly. And I'm going to expound on this one a little later. But I would you should understand, brethren, that the things which have happened unto me have fallen out, rather, underline this in your Bible, young people, rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. Life in Christ for you, for me, is the furtherance of the gospel. It is the furtherance of the gospel. You now have a life to live for the expansion of God's kingdom. You now have purpose in your life. You didn't have that before. Your purpose was only to please you. Now you have purpose in your life. The furtherance of the gospel. Number two, very quickly, and I'm going to share some things about these things. Verse number 20. He says, According to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. And then comes that next verse, that famous verse, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And Paul says here, for me to live is to magnify Christ in my body. That's number two. To magnify Christ in your body. My life is for the furtherance of the gospel. This Christian life that you have given, you've been given isn't just a, so you'll have a happy home. It isn't just so you, 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 you escape and you look good uh, in front of the world. It has a very specific purpose. We all know Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. And I said this before, but Ephesians 2, 10. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 say, For by grace are you saved through faith, and not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Ephesians 2, 10, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, and this may be paraphrased, unto good works. Is that the right... Is that the right rendering of that verse? Because I don't know what language I'm speaking in. <laughs> Unto good works. So <laughs> you were designed to magnify Christ in your body. You were designed for the furtherance of the gospel. And the last thing very quickly, and then we'll go back. Verse number 27. You study these things at home. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. Underline that phrase. What is living Christ? It's, it's a lifestyle or a conversation worthy of the gospel. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. Whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast, listen to this church, in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. What is that verse saying? That verse is saying this. That verse is saying you and I, we have one purpose in this life. This church exists for one purpose, and that's the expansion of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have one purpose for this church to exist, and that is to glorify the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. And the world should see a unified purpose. The world should see a people who back that purpose uh, through faith promise missions giving. That's, the, uh, that's our opportunity to back the promise, to back the purpose, of, excuse me, of this church. God has given you a, an avenue through which you can back the purpose of this local assembly, and that is, that is through faith promise giving. Because we're not all going to be able to go overseas, but we can all have a part in reaching the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the way that you will have that, or, or the way that you do that, will magnify Christ. The, uh, the conversation that the Bible speaks of here, the conversation is, is not just your words, but it's a complete lifestyle. It's, a life, it's much more than just your words. It is all that you do. Um, and there's your outline. Now I'm going to go back, and we're going to look at this verse. First verse, first, number 12 with me. What does it say? 
Number 12, verse number 12, again we're going to read this, and again we're going to remember the context as we look at these, at these verses. We might get through two of these points very quickly. But look here, he says, I want you to understand. Paul is talking to this, his children, and he says, ah, if you get anything, get this right here. He's like, I need you to grasp this. Church, I need you to grasp this. I want you to understand brethren. These are people who are called out. He says, that the things which have happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. What happened to the Apostle Paul? Well, it's very clear. In verse number 13, it shows us very, very clearly what happened to the Apostle Paul. So that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. The Apostle Paul, what happened to him was he was locked up for preaching the gospel. He was put in prison for preaching the gospel. And his children heard that he was put in prison for preaching the gospel. And Paul is telling the Philippian believers here, he's telling his children, listen, <laughs> this didn't happen on accident. Listen, what has taken place in my life, God didn't lose control. It didn't just happen on accident. God didn't lose control. Uh, the God that I serve is still a good God. And, and the thing that is happening to me, me being imprisoned, God, Romans chapter 8, verse number 28, we know Scripture, that all things work together for good to them who are called according to His purpose. Well, this, what was happening in Paul's life, didn't happen on accident. It was happening on purpose. And this is a, this is a very hard truth to grasp sometimes for believers. It's a very, very hard doctrine for believers to grasp, but it's true. And listen to this verse. Listen to this verse right here. And I want you to think about this verse in verse number 29. He says, For unto you it is given. Alright? That given gives the connotation of a gift. It is given. It's like it's, it's a gift. What? In the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on Him. We like that part. We can believe on Christ, but what does it continue to say? But also to suffer for His sake. And now who is he writing this letter to? The church. This letter wasn't written to the Apostle Paul. Yeah, it was, it was for the Apostle Paul too, but it was written specifically to the Philippian church. To us today. And, and this message right here is very difficult to grasp. Especially for grandmas, I can imagine. But it is given to us. Now that connotation carries, it, it carries the connotation of a gift. Suffering for the cause of Christ. That's what this text is all about. The progress of the gospel is going to happen through suffering. Life in Christ is suffering. Remember in Colossians chapter number 1, we talked about, you know, that hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. He now lives within you. And the world killed Him. The world killed Him. And now we say, I want to live for Christ. Are you sure? Because when the world sees Christ in you, I think it was Paul who said it to Timothy in 2 Peter no, in Timothy, 2 Timothy 3, 12. All who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Now there's a, 
if factor in there. There's a, there's a conditional clause in there. Godly. Well, it's not really a clause, but godly. <laughs> All who live godly shall suffer persecution. Now, how in the world, what in the world kind of message is this? This isn't a very... This isn't a very comforting message, but it's true. It's true. And Paul wants his children in the faith to understand truth because when they understand truth, they will be able to go through the hurdles of the Christian life and not fall down. They will be able to continue forward. But if you believe a lie, you're destined for destruction. And this is truth. For the believer, God can make suffering into a blessing. That is a blessed hope that you and I have. And that's what is happening in the Apostle Paul's life right here. The Apostle Paul is in prison. And what happened through the Apostle Paul's imprisonment? Well, when you read this letter, you're going to come to the end of this letter and you're going to see that God was not willing that any should perish. And He wanted some in Caesar's household. Read with me in chapter number 4 very quickly. Very quickly, and I'm going to give you one illustration to illustrate this and I'm going to be done tonight. Look with me here. He says, the saints salute you, verse 22, chapter number 4. The saints salute you. Chiefly, they are of Caesar's. Chiefly, they that are of Caesar's household. They that are of Caesar's household. God was not willing that even the rich people in Caesar's household would, 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 they, He was not willing that they would perish. That they would come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter if you're in a, in a king's house or a shack in Africa. God is not willing that any man on this whole earth should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And it's given to you and to me this life of suffering for the furtherance of the gospel. For the furtherance of the gospel. And when you understand that, man, you can suffer right. And that was my, that was my prayer when I preached this message last. I doubt you remember it. My prayer was when I go to Africa, God help me to suffer right. God help me to suffer right because I know if they see me in you, they're going to hate me too. I know it because my Bible tells me and I believe it to be true. And the Christianity that we have in America today, I don't know, I don't see much godliness. We, blame, we, we love all of those alls in the Bible except for the one that say all shall, shall suffer. And we love them all. All shall repent, Timothy says, uh, he would have all men. And then we begin to say things like, well, that's not here. Well, could it be that there are not many godly people here? And people around the world are beginning to suffer because ah, they actually believe what they read. And they begin to talk about Jesus and they don't let the system dictate whether they're going to preach Jesus or not. They don't let any system you remember Peter and John? They were thrown in jail. For we cannot but preach the things which we have seen and heard. That's what they said. They said, I don't know what else to do. He's changed my life. He has changed my being. I'm not who I used to be. By God's grace, my kids, they don't see the Jeremy that used to be. If you saw me 15 years ago, I was on drugs. I was an alcoholic. But God did something in my heart and in my life. I mean, I drank all the time. Doctors couldn't explain that. 
I ain't an alcoholic. I'm a new creature in Christ. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. And when they see Christ in you, they're going to hate you too. Now, I told you that, and I want to illustrate it through a story of something that happened in South Africa. Um, we had a group down. We had a group down from Bath Baptist Church. Well, now it's, I don't know what church name is now. Mark just preached there. What's the name of the church? Solid Rock Baptist Church. Uh, they came down to uh, build a roof on the flat next to our, our church building. And these guys uh, were up on top of the roof from Bath Baptist Church. Now, we work in a pretty shady area uh, of, the, of the city, uh, and no, uh, no white people ever go in there. When I say no white people in three years that I've been entering, entering there, uh, I'm the only person that's, my family and the, and the churches that I've taken in there are the only white people. And there, there are millions of white people, a few million white people that live in South Africa. They don't go in this area. Um, and so it's a little shady. It's a little, it's a little, uh, if you could imagine inner city on steroids <laughs> outside my church window, outside my Sunday school window, I have pot plants growing this high. <laughs> Literally. I looked out, I was like, dear God, that's a pot plant. I know what that is. <laughs> uh, my, 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 my youth pastor was out there. He's like, yep, you're right. <laughs> I got drug dealers all around my church. I mean, the kids where I work have one foot in hell already. But they were putting this, this group came down, Bath Baptist Church, they, uh, they come down to help us out. And they're putting this roof on top of the church. And they had all kinds of tools laid out inside the church. And, and we'd already experienced some stuff at the church. This wasn't the first time. Uh, but um, I saw this guy, this Big old lanky guy. How many of you seen, I'm going to give a carnal illustration real quick, Star Wars. I'm showing my age right now. Y'all don't even know what Star Wars is. Y'all know what Star Wars is? Raise your hand high. You know who Jar Jar Vinks is? You know that big, long-eared, goofy thing that has a neck? and he's, I mean, he's like six foot four. He's, well, this guy was like that. He was, I mean, he was a big, tall guy. And he's <laughs> got one's attention. And, and he's peeking his head around the window. And in the door, in these gates, I have bars on there. And I, I go over to him, and I'm like, hey, man, what's going on? How can I help you? Uh, and he said, no, I don't need anything. And so I was like, well, that's weird. <laughs> so I walked outside, and I was talking to him in Tulsa. Uh, I don't know if he, he may not at that time have understood my Tulsa. I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, I walk outside. He walks across the street. I walk outside and walk across the street. <laughs> and and, I, and I, I, I'm walking there, and I'm standing across the street, and the double doors of, of my church are on that side of the street. Now, normally our, our church is bustling. At the outside, there's, we, we're on a corner and there's people walking around all the time. But for some reason, there was nobody there. And this guy, I heard him stand over here with this guy, and he begins to talk about the tools that are inside the church. He begins to talk about there's a grinder and a drill and this and that. And I'm like, what are these cats about to do? What are they about to do? Well, he, he then walks right past me up to the, the corner. Uh, and there's another corner right at the next intersection. And there's two more guys up there. And, uh, and he's, I'm paying attention really intently now because I understand, well, they're, they're thinking something. And, and uh, as he turns around, he whips out this pistol. And he comes walking toward me. And his buddies come with him. And I'm like, oh, Lord, what am I going to do now? <laughs> I don't know what's about to happen. 
because <laughs> life is, uh, well, it's, it's not valued by a lot of people there. Uh, the men inside the place where I work, I think there's a la- I'm an old man. I'm like a grandpa. Like 36 is, I think, the life expectancy inside the location where I work. 38, something like that. I'm almost 40. Oh, dear Lord. Uh, But this this guy comes over to me with this pistol, and he says, we're going in. I said, man, don't do this. I was like, just take my my wallet. Just take my phone. I was like, don't go inside there. Man, these guys guys are here to help my church, and they're here to help these young, young people. You see me here. I'm here trying to help these people all the time. You see me here. Come on, just take my stuff. And the guys kind of escort me over to the front door. And they said, no, we're going inside. And we get to the front door of the church, and I turn around with one final plea. I'm like, listen, just take my stuff, man. You're going to ruin these guys' trip. Just take my stuff. And, and my plea was met with the pistol to the chest. And I was like, okay, we're going inside. I guess it's time to go inside. About that time, if you could put the picture of the young boys up. About that time, you see this young, young boy here. I showed him to you a couple weeks ago. The boy in the red jacket there. His name's Lupolo. Lupolo is 16 years old. He's a little malnutrition, I believe, if you could think so, because uh, he's tiny. But Lupolo rounds the corner, and he begins to yell, as God would have it, they're robbing the pastor. They're robbing the pastor. And I'm like, oh, praise the Lord. And, and, then, and then this other guy who had, I'd made friends with, this Rastafarian guy, if you could imagine this guy with big long dreads, he rounds the other corner, and he says, they're robbing the pastor. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, this ocean of mamas just flood out of their houses. I was like, whoa, where'd they come from? And, and, and these guys, they put their gun down. And I'm like, oh, praise God. And these mamas, these mamas come down and they surround me. They surround me. And, you know, when I started learning this cosa, uh, they, um, they give you a name. And my name is Umfundisium Cuseli, which means pastor protector. But you know what happened is those old mamas, they began to protect them from this young They They surrounded me and protected me. And, and, they, and the guys left. Now, I tell you that story to tell you this. About a week and a half later, our church was full of men just like this, 15 to 25, up to that point. Yeah, we'd have visitors come in. We'd have visitors come in. If you could show the picture of the, the other picture of the mamas. Um, the next week, the next week, as God would have it, they had a community meeting because they, they do community justice there. I don't have time to tell you the end of this story completely, but it's no joke. When I say it's no joke, it's no joke. Uh, like tires put over people, set on fire, burn them alive kind of thing. They don't mess around. But they had a community meeting and they're out on the, out on the soccer field about a few blocks down from my house, and they're talking about this crazy white guy, and, and these mamas are hearing about a pastor over here, this crazy white guy. And as God would have it, this lady on the right-hand side, her name is Mama Plakis. This lady, as God would have it, she came to check out what the white guy was doing. Because he didn't hightail it. Because most people, when that, something like ha- that happens, they get out of Dodge. When a little bit of persecution happens, oh, I shouldn't be, I mean, God, God wouldn't want that for my life. God wouldn't want me to lose my job, really, would he? 
God wouldn't want that for my life. No, that's not God's plan. God, wouldn't want, God would want me to shut up about Jesus. No. Mama Plaque is, is holding something in her hand there. It's called a baptism certificate. That means she trusted Christ as her Lord and Savior. But the cool thing about this story is this. That little guy in the red shirt rounded that corner, Lupolo, he was saved already. Mama Plakis is his grandma. He had enough guts to say, hey, they're robbing the pastor. I want you to understand, brethren, that the things which have happened to me have fallen out rather into the furtherance of the gospel. So that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even of envy, and some of goodwill. Some are preaching so they get beat. Others, because they want to see people get saved. The one preached Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense. I am set for the defense. I am set for the defense of the gospel, church. What then, notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice in suffering. You can rejoice in suffering when Mama Plakis, when you remember, it's not in vain. You can rejoice in suffering when you understand your God ain't lost control and He's building up for you. He's building up for you something on the other side that you can't even imagine because He's a good God. He's worried about your future. And this world, this this little time right here, this little timeline in which you exist now is temporal. It is very temporal, but there's an eternity coming. And He is a good God. And like any father, like any father, He is more concerned for the future of His children than He is the present temporal comforts. Because He's a good God. He's a good God. i got five minutes. I want to share one more thing with you. One more thing, very quickly. Living in Christ is the furtherance of the gospel. And it's going to happen by suffering. Living in Christ... Living in Christ, number two, very quickly. I'll just give you this and you can take it home with you. And then we'll close. According to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now Christ shall be magnified in my body. Living Christ is magnifying Him, church, in your body. It's to make God. These kids over here know what to magnify means. You look through a telescope, and a telescope makes things bigger, clearer, and closer. And you are making something bigger, clearer, and closer with your life. You are. Every one of us are making something bigger, clearer, and closer with your life. And I can tell you what that is right now. I'm a mind reader. What that is, is what you expect and what you hope. Whatever you're expecting and whatever you're hoping for, you'll make bigger, clearer, and closer to people. If you're expecting and hoping for those Bulldogs to win, those Tennessee Vols to win, you're going to make them bigger, clearer, and closer. If you're expecting to see grandbabies, when you walk into Costco, everybody's going to know their name. They're going to, my mama is here with us tonight, and 
Everybody knows my kids before I even get there at Costco because she's expecting and hoping to see the grandbabies. Church, what are you expecting and hoping? What is it that you expect and hope? What is your expectation and hope? Paul's expectation and Paul's hope was this. And you see it from, in anything I shall not be ashamed. That in nothing I shall... His expectation and his hope was to be with Jesus. And it says that in the very next, next few verses. His expectation and hope, he was, I want to be with you guys. I want to be with Jesus, but I, it's more needful that I stay here with you. And that's what he says in the very next few verses. But Paul says here, he says, that in nothing I shall be ashamed. And that helps us understand something. That is talking about a blessed hope that we have as believers. That I shall not be ashamed is the expectation and hope that Jesus was coming. That he was going to come and get him out of the circumstance in, in which he was. That when Jesus came, as a bride would be uh, on the night before her wedding, she would be very ashamed if, if she were caught hugged up on another. She would be very ashamed if she were caught hugged up on another. If her, if her groom came in and she was hugging up, kissing on another person. She would be very ashamed, right? If you're, you know, you're waiting for your marriage. In nothing I shall be ashamed. He didn't want to get caught hugged up on another. He's like, that in nothing I shall be ashamed. I don't want to be caught doing anything but magnifying God in my body when He comes. Because His life was given for mine. His life was given for yours. Magnifying Him in your body, church, and I close. I don't have any more time. Magnifying Him in your body is serving others. And serving is preaching Jesus. You don't do your neighbor, listen to this, church, any service, if you go mow his yard and you never tell him about Jesus. You don't do him any service. You did yourself a good service. You magnified yourself. You made yourself look good to him. You made yourself look real good, but did they see Jesus? How do they see Jesus? How shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they preach except they be sent? You're the sent one. You are the sent one. It is your responsibility to take this message to a lost and dying world. That is the mission of this church. That is your mission. To magnify God in your body, whether it be by life or by death. For, for, For to me, to live is Christ. And to die, do we really believe it's gain? To die? I mean, the average Christian man, do we really believe it's gain? We don't, we don't like death, but we ain't scared of it. Are you scared of it? Most people, I'll go ahead and tell you why they're scared of death. And I'm scared of it sometimes. Because I'm hugged up on another. Because I'm not ready to meet my maker. Because I ain't done all I want to do to magnify him in my body. Life in Christ is the furtherance of the gospel church. That's what life is. If you're living for anything else, living a lie. Life in Christ is the furtherance of the gospel. Life in Christ is to magnify Him in your body, whether it be by life or by death. Life in Christ is a conversation worthy of the gospel. Study it at home. Let's pray. Father God, I love You. I thank You and I praise You for the opportunity to preach Your Word. I pray to God now that You would use these words that I've spoken. And I pray to God that You would encourage Your church to step out by faith and live. Live out who they are. That That their lives would reflect their love for You. That their commitments as they come in to faith promise, Lord, would reflect a love for You. God, help us to magnify You with our bodies. 
God help us. God help us to suffer right. God help us. In Christ's name.